Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, 23-year-old Elena Rabakina, representing Kazakhstan, seeded 17 coming into the tournament, is a Wimbledon champion. She's done it by beating third seed Ons Jabeur of Tunisia, 3-6, 6-2, 6-2, in a pretty thrilling final, an hour and 48 minutes on centre court today. You find us, myself, Catherine Ritiker, David Law, Matt Roberts, atop the Wimbledon broadcast roof, overlooking that centre court and court one as well beers in hand happiness abound yeah abounds abound we haven't had many beers have we on this roof this year so we're making up for it well we're technically in a in a work area aren't we we are separated from the the beer drinking area by a barrier but the um (laughs) but nobody seems to be minding no the security (laughs) guy's on his phone at the moment so i think we're all right and he was taking pictures for us earlier so (laughs) i think we're good um yeah, it's, it's it's been quite a day, hasn't it? The day is not yet done, incidentally. The best of five sets men's doubles final really feels like it's definitely going to use all of those five sets. The first two were tie-break sets. The first one taken by Matt Ebden, Max Purcell. Second one taken by Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic. They also took the third set. And we're on serve, folks, in the fourth. Mate Pavic apparently playing with a broken bone in his hand. We'll, uh, we'll of course bring you uh, the result of that and uh, more details of that broken bone uh, in tomorrow's podcast but we're going to focus for now on our new Wimbledon champion Elena Rabakina, David. Yeah, I would say she is one of the more surprising new Grand Slam champions that we've had in quite a while. Only in as much, not that I've I mean, now I look at her as a Grand Slam champion, I think, well, of course. When you see what she's capable of and how she did it and how her runners materialised throughout the fortnight, she just looks like somebody who, well, of course she was going to be a Grand Slam champion. But I hadn't really realised how good she is, how capable she was, what her ceiling is. And her ceiling is just so high. Um, But today, I did not think she would win. I thought Ons Jabeur would take her out. And when she won that first set, I was even more sure of it. And I think it's enormously impressive that Rebecca didn't 
didn't fold because she wasn't playing that well in the first set. She was error-strewn, and then she tightened up a game just as she did against Ida Tomljanovic the other day and, and took it away. It's funny, you know, she talked in the um, on-court interview with Sue Barker and in her press conference, which we'll talk lots about, I think, about how she was nervous throughout the whole match. She said, she said in press, she was asked, were you able to enjoy it today? And she said, frankly, no. Uh, she said, I was able to enjoy my semi-final against Simona Halep, but today I was just too tense and too nervous. And Yeah, she's not aboard the Daniela Hamtikova theory of uh, semi-finals <laughs> yes. harder than finals. <laughs> no, she's not. Each to their own. Maybe right. I'll stop getting that theory out every time we <laughs> but reach I think the there, semi-finals. There are different players who do feel like that, but I think these first-time grandstand finalists, I, I actually thought, I and mean, I thought Jabir settled extremely well and quickly. Well, to be honest, I didn't think the story of that first set was Elena Rabatkina being nervous. Yeah, there might have been the odd error here or there that you could, in hindsight, knowing that she was nervous, attribute to that. But sitting there watching it, I didn't feel like, wow, this is somebody, you know, freezing or or slightly encumbered by the moment and the occasion. She wasn't quite at her best, but basically I thought the story of that first set was Angebeur being great and just imposing herself on the match imposing her presence her personality and her game style playing it on her terms in particular with the slice which Elena Rabatkina just wasn't handling that was where most of the errors were coming from Rabatkina not able to handle the Jabir slice yeah I think that's right that was a really big question for me going into the match was whether Jabir would be able to disrupt the Rabatkina game and she really did in that first set. Slice balls, chip returns, little angles. I think it all amounted to 17 unforced errors from Rebecca in the first set. And really, I thought Jabir was on her way. And actually, interesting for Rebecca to say in the press conference that, in a way, losing the first set helped her because some of the toughest losses she's had have been when she's been a set up and she's lost from a winning position. And... I've said it before, I go back to the Olympics last year. She was playing the best tennis in in that tournament. I really do believe that. And she lost from a winning position against Belinda Bencic in the semi-final. She lost from 6-1, 3-1 up in the the bronze medal Mm, match against Vitalina. And I think, you know, she talked a lot about nerves today, but perhaps they were just different nerves from those Olympic nerves when she was feeling like she probably should win from those positions. And... Today, it really did feel like the match changed a lot as soon as she broke in the first game of that second set. She, I agree. I, I didn't think she was completely terrible in that first set. I thought the real story was just the, the match-up and how it seemed to be suiting Jabir. But there was a definite shift from that first game of the second set onwards where there was more authority about Rebecca and she played too really great sets from there it was a clear tactic of Jabir or maybe not as premeditated as a tactic but it was certainly um, evident in Ons Jabir today that she was going to emote out there and be demonstrative and really try and dominate with her presence exactly as I said that she did in the first set there was you know an enormous fist pump when she broke the Rabak in a serve and then an even bigger one when she took the set, I mean, it was. She's quite an emotional player, isn't she, Angebeur? And that was as big a celebration as I've seen from her mid-match. You know, it was really 
uh, you see quite a lot of sort of tears of emotion, that kind of emotion, but that sort of pumped up, chest pumping, Nadal style stuff. I'd never seen anything quite like that from her, and I loved it at the time. I was, well, I, I was on my feet, but don't I don't think it was wonder. the wrong thing to do. I've but then there was personally. such a crash from that peak. Mm. There was such. She then flattened out so much from that moment, and you know, momentum is such a massive thing in sport, isn't it? And it's so impossible to explain or really comprehend. But you just knew that her continuing what she did in the first set at the beginning of the second felt so important and there was just it felt like there was this big emotional letdown at the start of the second and she did lose focus she she made some bad decisions I think some bad decisions about what shots to play and maybe looked indecisive on on a couple of shots and Rabatkina responded by raising her level and it was enough to completely shift the feel of the match. And I do think some panic started to creep in from Onstraber because, you know, there was a world in which Onstraber got blown off the court today. And there were some rallies like that where Rabakina was just going for it. And you're like, well, that's unplayable. You know, we, we said, shouted that at t- the TV a couple of times, didn't we? Well, that's unplayable. <laughs> Don't even bother running. There's, <laughs> nobody could track that down. But there were quite a lot of points in the second and third sets that were Jabir points. She was playing them on her terms and she lost them. You know, Rabakna was moving pretty well up to some drop shots, you know. Yeah, I saw a different side to Rabakna today. I I felt like she did win a few of the cat and mouse rallies. She did Mm. um, track down some Jabir drop shots and hit winners off them. Her movement held up really well. All of those things are true, and I think they can all be true at the same time as saying Jabir probably still should have won more of those rallies, mm. perhaps, if, if she'd just been playing better. I mean, she said it in her press conference, she just didn't play that well in those final two sets. I, I would say that the first set was problematic for Rebecca in that she wasn't hitting aces. This is a woman mm. who's hit over, what, 50-odd aces in the tournament? She didn't hit any in the first set, I don't think. Yeah, I think it was after an hour, her first ace right. in the match. And that... And that, and that immediately blunts her game mm. um, and to me the, the two shifts were the fact that she started to serve better and you talk about the drop shot in the first set she was making Elena Rebecca look like Andy Murray was making look John Isner look every time he hit a drop shot I can't get that that's, that's, no, I, that's not my type of tennis at all but just as with Isner there, were, there was a moment where Jabir went for an extravagant, such softly hit drop shot from the baseline. You know, it's the sort that's pretty ambitious because, you know, it's not the perfect position. And Rebecca got, got to it. And I remember thinking when she got to it and won the point, ooh, mm. she may have just blunted one of her weapons here because she's, she's starting to read these. And I think perhaps on Jabir thought, ooh, as well, because I do think some panic started to creep in the forehand then started failing her the forehand there was a portion of that match where the forehand seemed to completely desert on Strabur I felt sort of my heart in my mouth every time she went to hit one and it was simultaneous with Elena Rabakina raising her game and I don't want to take anything away from Elena Rabakina because performing in the circumstances of it being the biggest match of your life and on centre court and a Wimbledon final, that's all part of it. That's, when you're set down as That's well. why it means so much and is so hard. However, I do think, had that not been a Wimbledon final, 
Gilbert would probably have won. I also think, you know, we, we can analyse the match in, in great detail. There was, there was one extremely crucial game in that match, which was in the third set. Rebecca serving, upper break, 3-2, and she fell love 40 down. Mm. And she fell love 40 down in part because of Chabur's brilliance. She set it up with a drop shot lob combo, which Catherine called before the lob had, had been hit. I she said, go for the lob, go, go for the lob. lob. Go for the lob, and she did, and it went straight onto the baseline, got her to love 40, and she had the crowd behind her at that point, Chabur. It felt like such a key moment. And then it was... It was Sophia Kennan vibes from mm. from Rebecca to hold serve from Love Forty down. Oh, what was that year? That was the twenty twenty Australian Open against Muguruza, and she it's hit st- still the, one of the all time great games. Five of the best points you've ever yeah. seen from Love Forty. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't quite five winners from Rebecca, but it was it was five great points. I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, and I just think that that to me was the crucial game if mm. if Jabir wins that I think she's got momentum back on her side and she said it in press conference she felt like that was that was the key moment as as it happened Rebecca won it and then won the last two games of the match she was kind of completely liberated from that point onwards and yeah it's little moments like that it's why it's why I would never want there to be sudden death deuce you know because mm. Rebecca got it back to Deuce and there was still a battle going on in that game and it just just felt so pivotal that game I wonder if the men's doubles finalists right now want there to be sort of sudden death <laughs> juice they're, they're trucking on where are they up to? <laughs> headed towards an inevitable fifth set by the looks of things I'll bring you uh, I'll bring you live updates as and when it happens M- Mektich Pravic still two sets to one at the moment but I don't know it just feels it feels like it's going five four three Ebden Purcell in the fourth for all now for all I'll keep you posted folks <laughs> <laughs> or you could just look up the result because it's finished by the time you're listening to this mm-hmm. so there she is serving for the match 5-2 she, she secures the, the, the after Orange de fails to convert that Love 40 game she herself then gets broken and you still feel like there could be a twist you know Jabir Jabir wins a point at the start of that map, the start of that game and suddenly the crowd are with her and she's emoting again and her energy's up and you're thinking, okay, Elena Rabatkina, what have you got? There's a double fault, I think, in that game from Rabatkina. And yet, <laughs> what she's got is, well, seeming nervelessness. And yet, she's told us she was nervous throughout, which makes it all the more extraordinary yeah and i think i think that is one of the things that happens with with us as as onlookers and observers and all the media and 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 the tennis fans on twitter and everybody else people just judge the cover don't they they can only see the facade they can only see the person's facial expressions and body language and they judge they make up their minds and you don't know what's going on underneath there and um I do find her hard to read during a match. And I actually think that's one of the things that, in her own way, appeals about her. She's, she's different. She's not, she's not the same as everybody else. That's fine. Um, but I've, she's really grown on me in this tournament. I loved watching her in person. It's just a totally You've different experience. You've done that experience. quite a lot, haven't you? Well, the last three matches, mm. I, I've, I, I commentated on two and I, I watched today as closely as I could. And I do think... One of the great achievements in any player's career, and I've heard this spoken by Roger Federer in the past and Pete Sampras in the past, is getting over the line in your first one. Mm. 
Mm. That achievement, the scale of that achievement, when you've never done it before. You, you don't even know if you're capable until you've done it. And she now knows she's capable. And I, I think that's, well, hats off. Fantastic. If there were ranking points at this tournament, she would now be comfortably inside the world's top ten. Um, and yet she's, you know, she's nowhere near it. I'm sure that's, well, she's told us that's absolutely not top of mind, but it, it is a kicker, isn't it? That's, you know, and she's, she's had a few kickers ranking points wise, you know, her last big surge before this was at the start of 2020 before the ranking points were, were frozen. Um, and I think she would have entered, possibly entered the world's top 10, um, during that period or the period afterwards um, had the ranking points not been frozen she didn't get ranking points at the Olympics last year where she reached the semi-finals I mean we on her ranking currently what, what is she sort of around about 20 in the world seeded 17 here is not reflective and even probably going into this tournament wasn't reflective of, of where she is the rankings are, are increasingly becoming a bit a, of an irrelevance. A bit of a problem, aren't you know? they? I mean, yeah. I, I'm not taking much notice of the rankings anymore, and yet you need them in order to get that snapshot of where somebody stands in the scheme of things. But, I mean, the fact well, that Novak Djokovic can win Wimbledon tomorrow and go from three to seven, mm. yeah, what, what is that? But that's the situation we're in. What a wild year. Should we just take a moment to, <laughs> to reflect on what an absolutely wild year it's been? Well, yeah. It's um, and and look, Elena Rybakina. From I mean, you, you guys were in the press conference, but she had to face some difficult questions because she's from Kazakhstan and she was born in Russia. Yeah, and we will come on to that. But she also had to face what I thought were some difficult questions, understandable ones, but about her lack of celebration and her lack of emoting, which is a feature. Of, of her as a player, an intriguing feature. I, I've talked about it on the podcast. I'm not saying that that's not noteworthy, but I do think the level of questioning, the level and nature of questioning of her and sort of general discourse around her, her sort of lack of celebration is different to how it would be if, if it were a man out there. We quite often see muted... Grand Slam winning celebrations. Andy Murray winning his first US Open in 2012 was not that dissimilar from what we saw from Elena Rybakina today. Sort of mostly disbelief, a little bit of a daze, um, faffing around about his watch. I mean, Elena Rybakina did no faffing about a watch today, as far as <laughs> and, I can gather. And I know that when he won the US Open, Daniil Medvedev did his weird fish celebration. Mm. But, no, he just collapsed. But... You know, for all his other titles, he's made it his thing that he's not celebrating, and that's it's kind of been lauded and mm. celebrated as a trademark. As a trademark, I just feel like the, it's the old sort of, you know, why aren't you smiling? Thing, give us a which, smile. Give us a smile. It, it's mm. it's that sort of thing, and I'm not saying it's not a talking point. I've made it a talking point on this podcast, but the the extent of it and the fact that I suspect that'll probably lead some of the news agendas on Elena Rabatkina bothers me a bit and I, I don't hold I'm not holding the journalists responsible at all I get it it's the patriarchy that that sets the sort of agendas and the, the fact that you know everyone wants an angle on her and we don't know her very well yet and it you know everybody's looking for that angle it's just a bit of a shame 
that that is such an angle. It's a shame that I it's guess. a piece. I mean, look, she's also standing next to one of the most uh, demonstrative-looking people on the circuit in Hans yeah. Jabeur. So the, the the contrast is so stark. Um, and and look, I was relieved that when she did her interview that she made it v- so obvious how much this meant to her. She she let us all in. She let everybody in. She, she doesn't have to, but mm. I was really pleased she did. Uh, and there was a moment in the press conference where she was asked about her parents and whether she'd had the... She, she had mentioned her parents and how significant they'd been in in her development. You know, as she joked on the court, I, I wouldn't be here without them. And she, you know, <laughs> she, she had a little royal smile at herself for saying that, didn't she? Um... And then she was. There was a follow-up question about her parents. You know, have you spoken to them? That when yet? Yeah, when do you plan to to see them? And um, her face slowly crumpled, and she, um, yeah, she started crying. Um, and there was a, a moment the moderator offered to to end the press conference or, or give her a moment. She said, "No, no, no, I'm fine." And then she joked, "See, you wanted." You wanted some emotion from me. Oh, really? Here it is. And I. it was a lovely moment, but it also made me a bit sad that she had the impression that she was... People thought she was doing winning Wimbledon wrong by not giving people yeah. the emotion that they wanted. And that... That's really interesting. That made me feel a bit sad for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, as though, she, as though she needs to change because it's not good enough. Yeah, the, the, the fact that she had that awareness that you all, you all want me to be crying or smiling or being giddy or doing something that I'm not doing. I think the Andy Murray comparison is a really good one from 2012. Um, yeah, I do. And I, like I say, I, I, I'm part of the problem too because I was relieved when she did that interview because I don't know mm. her. I don't know what's going Same, on underneath. Look, look, nobody loves an over-the-top emotional celebration like I do. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. A roundhouse double fist pump from Rafael Nadal is pretty much the best thing my eyes have ever seen. But I, I just think the tone, the tone of the response to to her celebration or lack thereof is is different than it would be if it were a man responding in the same way and that's something that we should just examine um and sit with Mm. Mm. yeah i think it's a point very worth making because it did dominate kind of the first half of the press conference yeah it did there weren't many questions about her nationality in press, but the ones that there were were quite pointed. Matt, you were in there, and she was asked directly, do you condemn Putin and the war? Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm not here to tell journalists how to do their job. I, I don't consider myself a journalist, to be honest. Um, we can get into that another time, but... And as we've said... Hang on, you're the guy that went to Court 12 (laughs) to report on Beatrice Haddad Meyer's loss first-hand. Sometimes I do hashtag journalism. (laughs) Um, And as you've laid out with the point about her emotions, you know, it's it's a news agenda and that's what the journalists are there for, to sort of work around that. And I understand why those questions are being asked. 
Personally, it made me very uncomfortable, that question. Um, we believe that Rybatkina's parents live in Moscow still. Um, I just think it's a very difficult question to ask an athlete straight up, that not knowing what the consequences could be of her answer. Um, so the way she answered it was saying that she didn't really understand the question and then she spoke again about um, representing Kazakhstan um, and how she's done that since 2018 um, and honestly I do think she's handled the questions generally this tournament well um, you know she sort of turned it back on one of the journalists and said well how do you define how you feel about your nationality and mm. it's, a, it's a complex question to be asked um, and ultimately, it is not, it's not really her problem. I think it's more of a problem for Wimbledon in terms of the awkward nature of a winner being born in Moscow in the year when they've declared a ban on Russian athletes. And it's not up to Rebecca to say, oh, you miss me out. You know, she, she, she is going to play mm. the tournament. And yeah, I, I just think it's a bit of a shame, really, that so many questions have been asked but at the same time I do I do get it from a journalist working point of view given the industry just to emphasize how much she represents Kazakhstan the the president of the tennis federation of Kazakhstan was in her box today and if uh, if Rabakina wasn't emoting enough for everybody watching <laughs> uh, he took it upon himself to make up for that because he was having a good time <laughs> The contrast to that <laughs> was I I was um, out looking for interviews to preview tomorrow's men's final after the, after this one, and uh, walking past me was Ons Jabeur's coach. Oh, oh dear, oh, dear, dear, dear! I mean, I again, you don't want to read too much into body language, but I got the sense he's going to have to have a pint tonight. <laughs> oh. Well, that's a very different vibe to Ons Jabeur's press conference really? though she was cracking jokes she had the room in the palm of her hands honestly oh. um, she showed everyone her her phone background all week which has been the Venus Rosewater dish oh my god um, but she was you know she said I probably should have put oh. the other one you know she laughed about it she said she's going to change it back to her niece from oh. now on um, she confirmed by the way that uh, her parents never asked for a visa to come to the UK. There was there was some speculation that maybe they'd been turned down. Um, but she said, no, no, UK-Tunisian relations are all good. She was keen not to criticise the British government two press conferences in yeah. a row. <laughs> she, um, <laughs> she thanked the media after all the English questions and, and, and got up to leave. And then the moderator said, oh, no, no, you need to stay for French. And she sat back down. And then when she finished the French, she said, right, now I can give my thanks and my speech. She was just, she was just oh, lovely. Oh, and, she's the nicest and person. The stuff she? she said about the defeat, you know, she said, that this she sees this as, as her next step she's spoken all all her career about step-by-step -step progress um this is this is a big one she says i wasn't ready to be grand slam champion i look forward to the next one so she's going to keep her head high and i just think when you're on Jabur and you've made what you do about so much more than just your results you know what that means is when you if you do lose it doesn't all hinge on that result. She's already achieved so much. You know, everything she's done in terms of 
inspiring Arab women to play tennis or inspiring Arab women generally um, and breaking down barriers and blazing that trail, that all still counts, you know. Just mm. because she lost this match, that doesn't change any of that. Well, what, uh, what Reem said on, on our show last night about the step-by-step approach and mm. the, the method she's taken makes her, her confident in Ons Jaber and... Well, that fits in what she said there, doesn't it, Hans? Mm. And um, I mean, I had a few people message me and say, "Oh, you know, you weren't wrong after all." And I, I don't believe that. I was wrong. I do believe in her. I believe she will get there. I believe she will win a Grand Slam and probably more than one. Um, she's got the goods. She's got the goods. I also think she can keep getting better. As a tennis player, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I still think there There's are times. There, isn't there? I mean, there are times today where sometimes her game can just go a little bit ragged and mm. a little bit error strewn, and, and I think she can improve that. You know, the the, the one sort of um, soothing bit of balm I have for my lack of <laughs> prediction ability uh, on this subject is the fact that I think I might have been one of the first to compare her to Barty in terms of. She should be doing and achieving what Barty did mm. because there's so many similarities with their games. And I still look at it and I think, well, that is going to click. That is going to come together at some point. She's going to tidy up some of those frills. There were too mm. many frills in that match today mm. where I, I love it. I love it. But she needed to tighten up her game mm. and actually just go win. Go win. And I felt like you could see that in her indecision in sometimes, sort of in... in Big picture and small picture. You, you know, I felt like I could see her changing her mind about what shot to hit. And you know, I've said that I think it takes players longer to develop. That have the more tools you have at your disposal, the longer it takes you to develop. And I, I just felt like that held her back a bit today. Sort of, well, what do I do here? I've got too, I've got too many options. You know, for a backliner, it's all pretty clear. Yeah. Um, and when your brain is fried by occasion and situation. It's probably easier to have the the very straightforward clear cut. I think game. that for Rebecca, you know, because I think she realised I need to tighten up my serve and I need to get to one of the one or two of these drop shots, and that's that's, mm. that's to me what she ended up doing. But the, the thing with Jabir is, I think she can be a threat at all four slams, mm. Mm. and there's not so many you can say well, that. I about. mean, we'll check in with Craig Tizer what he thinks about the balls at the <laughs> US was, Open. I was thinking that. <laughs> And actually, Craig, you know... Because Barty was never in a million years going to win the US Open with those balls. <laughs> and he was right. Yeah. But I mean... I was, Might actually, as well retire, Ash, because yeah, you're never going to win a US Open. Back in May, Craig Tizer, he had, I, re, I had a look at his Twitter feed, he hadn't tweeted about anything or anyone for about four months. And then he puts a congratulations on Jabir Aww. for winning a title back in May. And I thought, he knows. Yeah, he, he knows. knows. she's got what They've, Ash has. Total um, diversion here, but they've started a tennis academy together, haven't they? Craig Tizer and Ash Barty. Oh, how yeah, nice! That's lovely. And she's, she, I think she's in the country at the moment playing golf. Is she? Yeah. Could she not have come to the thing on Sunday? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Maybe she wasn't nearby then. Oh. Anyway. It, but P.S. Again, another, another diversion. But it was wonderful to see Martina Navratilova back on the BBC coverage yeah. today because I think it. It hurts so much for her to miss that um, ceremony to honour 100 years of centre court on Sunday. And that moment of walking out as the only nine-time champion should have been hers. And um, she was denied it, but she was back today. 
and that's it made me really happy seeing her and Billie Jean King and Tracy Austin and Pam Shriver and we had all with um, Sue Barker in the BBC build up and it was lovely sorry to listeners outside of the UK that didn't get that but you missed out quite frankly and Sue who's in her 30th and final year here at Wimbledon for the BBC just walked by our picnic table here on the broadcast roof just before we she came on she complimented our beers she did yeah I was delighted um, <laughs> she said you guys know how to do it don't you um, but she was speaking about Martina and and just how happy she was to mm. see her back and she knows that what that would have meant to Martina and uh, mm. anyway so we're all agreed that Onsjabur is going to be a Grand Slam champion one day. 100%. Is Elena Rabatkina going to be a multiple Grand Slam champion? Certainly capable. No, 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 David. I'm not convinced. No. Of course she's capable. I think she will. Yeah, I think when you've, you've got that game, when it clicks... She's going to do a lot of winning, mm. um, and I think I think here. I mean, we've compared her. A lot of people have compared her to a right-handed Petra Kvitova. Mm. You know, yeah. Kvitova won this tournament twice, came close some other times. I could I could see her winning Wimbledon. Again. Maybe I'm trying not to predict her the way I did with Petra Kvitova about six times, <laughs> only for her to lose in the first round. Maybe I've been scared off. Yeah, I, I feel that I don't feel like she's going to get you know ten, but I could see her getting two or three. Petra Gavitova style, exactly. I think I'm more... I, I agree with that. I think I'm more confident that Ernst Jaber will get off the mark than I am mm. about Elena, Elena Rabakina winning again. So, L- listen today, to me. Today doesn't shake yeah, my confidence. Look at this about turn. Someone's changed their tune. <laughs> uh, Not in a mix in I my lifetime. It, 100% going to win She's a turned me. This <laughs> tour, she, and also Reem's words and what you guys were saying. I mean, I just... Yeah, I didn't quite... I think I was a, a bit... I was fearful to to commit to it because i thought there were still too many doubts and too many unknowns and strictly speaking those still exist if mm. you want to look at it on paper she had a chance today she was a setup she didn't win but i'm probably where you were at the start of the french open now understood Enjoy the journey, David. <laughs> it it's been great, a fun four weeks. <laughs> I'm delighted. Uh, just one final thing to wrap up the the women's final today Matt the scene you witnessed as you were leaving oh. the Elena Rabatkina press conference yeah that's right I mean it was a packed press conference I don't know how many journalists were in there probably a hundred or so shuffling out and I could hear this noise this chanting going on and I thought I reckon Ons Jabeur is uh, in with the fans and that was exactly what happened so I made my way over um, to this sort of where the crowd of fans were gathering outside the media centre and Ons Jabeur came down with her plate, held it aloft and they were singing songs and she was posing for pictures and signing autographs, I think. It was just a really special scene and a, a reminder of that connection that she has, especially with the Tunisian fans. You know, I think a lot of them were Tunisian fans and so often, um, you know, the fans don't really get to be right in among the players the players will stand on the balcony and Jabir made a, a point of going down there it was it was scenes it was it was lovely and also a reminder of what you said early in the podcast Matt that that her impact and the significance mm. of her and what she's done did not hinge on her winning exactly today. that felt like exactly the same volume of chanting that there would have been they were singing even I mean, if she'd won they were singing Campion, oh, campion it was wonderful yeah. yeah it was absolutely wonderful uh, incidentally the men's doubles final is in a fifth set <laughs> everyone <laughs> who'd have thought it 
Why can't Why can't I get predictions points for that? Because it doesn't work like Sorry, that. I regret <laughs> bringing up predictions. Sorry. But anyway, it's on serve in the fifth set. Mektic Pavic, 40-30, 1-2. I reckon it's going to a deciding set tiebreak. <laughs> <laughs> Might give you one point for that if What it does. do we think is going to happen in the men's singles final tomorrow? Someone has to take this. I'm just busy you, filling up the beers. You've now. both subtly moved the microphone okay. a little bit further away well, from your mouth. So I, whilst you guys were in the press conference with Ons Jaber and uh, Alina Rabakina, I was waiting to doorstep Mats Verlander to talk about this uh, final for BBC Radio 5 Live, which I did. And he's so nice. <laughs> he's so helpful. And, uh, and anyway, Even though I, I pierced his flesh with my earring earlier this week. <laughs> You did? I saw him in the media restaurant and I gave him a hug. Did I not mention this on the group chat? You did mention something about having... I gave him a hug and I was wearing little hoops that had sort of sharp spikes on them, like a sort of sun. Right. And I drew blood. (laughs) He was very good about it. glad he didn't put two and two together and think, oh, the tennis podcast, I'm not talking to him. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, David, as you were. Uh, So, anyway... After we'd patched up his flesh wound, um, he told me that he thinks centre court will, I don't want to say inhibit Nick Kyrgios, but it will kind of tame him and it will make him play in a more respectful manner, a more straightforward manner, which actually he thinks is what Kyrgios needs to do in order to win this match. He thinks, and I, and I, I share that view, and I actually watched back this morning. There's a 13-minute highlights on Tennis TV on YouTube of Kyrgios against Djokovic at Indian Wells in 2017. And it's it's noticeable. I mean, Kyrgios was playing brilliantly in that tournament. And in that run, that's the one we had semi-final against Federer in Miami as well. He was on a great run. He was dialed in. His focus was there. Yes, he was playing some through-the-leg shots against Verev and all that sort of thing. But against Djokovic, certainly in the early stages of that match, it's just about the tennis. It's serve. It's forehand. It's waiting out Novak Djokovic from the back of the court. Almost saying, come on, let's just just hit through me. Hit through me if you can. I'm going to rally with you. I'm going to slice. I'm going to loop my forehand. And I'm going to outlast you. Which, you, you know, you're not going to do that for five sets against Novak Djokovic. But... Mats feels that he needs to he needs to do that serve well and just keep it close you know and and that's his best chance Mats thinks that it will end up being four or five sets it'll be long um I got the same he, he wouldn't like pick a winner but it was pretty obvious that he thought that you can't pick against Djokovic in that situation really um and, Kyrgios um, never lost a five-setter at Wimbledon. No, and, and there, there are these stats because, I mean, he's won all four sets they've played previously, albeit those matches were two best-of-three matches in the space of three weeks in 2017. It's a long time ago. So there are good, there are good sort of stats there for, for Kyrgios. Um, but I suspect that, in the end, Novak Djokovic will just outlast him and, and understand what's required at the most important moments better. That that's where I come down as well. Just when I think about it as just a ten, just a tennis match, I think Kyrgios really could could do this. Um, but then I just think it's based it's on based on those two matches in 2017 mm. and how good he's been this fortnight and the, the game matchup. I, I 
I don't think he's as ruffled by what everybody else is ruffled by in Novak Djokovic. Um, and I, I just think so much of it with Djokovic is about the big points. You know, people do have opportunities against him and he just plays the big points unbelievably well. And Kyrgios and that serve, I think it takes some of the mental weight off playing Djokovic. All that being said, much like your mantra up until this year of it's Rafael Nadal at the French Open, I come back to that because, you know, nothing will ever be like Rafael Nadal at the French Open, 14 titles. But, you know, Djokovic is going for four in a row here. It's that we're at that sort of stage of dominance here with Novak Djokovic so I I come down on it's Djokovic at Wimbledon but also desperately need predictions points so have done a Hail Mary and predicted Nick Kyrgios in five I mean Djokovic is trying to equal Pete Sampras on seven Wimbledons and I'd forgotten that that's that's pretty extraordinary when you think of my childhood dad (laughs) when you think of how Pete Do you Sampras think Pete domi- show up? dominated oh, this tournament. No, of course he won't no. show up. <laughs> I think an element for Djokovic's stress, you know, this this whole thing of him not knowing whether he's going to be able to play a Grand Slam tournament for 10 months until next year's French Open is very real. And he, he has he's showed aware some of stress this, for, this fortnight, hasn't he? Even mm-hmm. though he's been brilliant in some matches, I have thought a couple of times, ooh, if he was against... Yeah, mm. X, Y, Z. He might, he might not win yeah. that one. It's definitely an element, I think, to watch out for. I'll go back to my stat the other day: thirty-eight matches in a row unbeaten on centre court, and he's beaten he's beaten Roger Federer in three Wimbledon finals. You mm. know, the player that I think most people would say is the best men's grass quarter of all time. Um, he's beaten Rafael Nadal. It would be astonishing if Nick Kyrgios ends that streak you know given the players who haven't been able to beat Djokovic um, ultimately I'm going Djokovic for all the reasons you've both laid out but I think it's I think it's going to be close and purely as a tennis match and as a contrast of styles and a contrast of personalities even though there has a bit of a love in on Instagram at the moment oh. where is there yes um Kira said, are we friends now? And Djokovic replied saying, um, yeah, let's go out for drinks or dinner. The winner pays. And Kira said... uh, I don't like it. Kira said, yeah, let's go nuts. Let's go to to a club. So... (laughs) What? It's very different to the last time they played. Sorry, but those two are never going clubbing together. Oh, God, no. What what would it be like? this This is not a real friendship. This is an Instagram friendship. I don't think it's going to take much for that to all just yeah. go out the window this when they start playing. A bit like Sid Sapas uh, delivering, mm. delivering his shoes. Mm. Or the other way around. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry um, to have brought that up. I can see the pain that's caused you, Catherine. It's <laughs> <laughs> all over your face. The clubbing. Also, Mektic and Pavic have broken in the fifth set, so perhaps it's not heading to a Champions tie break. Love 15 on the Mektic Babbage, sir. I'll keep you posted. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Let's whiz through some other results that we've had today. We have our junior girls champion. It is Liv Hovda of the United States of America. Mm. She is 16 years old. She was the top seed. She beat uh, Luca Udvardi 6-3-6-4 today. Matt, I think you watched mm. just a well, little bit of this. Well, word on the street. Oh. We like a word on the street. Is that she has a great backhand. And I know this because a few people tweeted me about it. So I thought, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd better be watching. Matt gets tweeted about two things, <laughs> backhands and Cosmova. <laughs> Correct. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, I didn't, I didn't see a huge amount. Looked a nice backhand, nice shape to it. And um, interestingly, she's only You're like this... the gatekeeper of backhands now, Matt. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Does it pass the Matt Roberts test? <laughs> That's the question. Only two American girls have won this title since Chandarubin in 1992. No way. So, so she's the second after Claire Liu, who was a few years ago. So and that's yeah. not Matt's stat? No, it might be better than the one I've come up with today, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> given that we're not advertising the newsletter anymore, oh, then yeah. I feel fine saying that it, it's, it's, it's not my best. It's day 13. <laughs> Sign up anyway, folks. I used still... up all my energy in the library the other day. Um, Dida de Chut won a seventh consecutive women's wheelchair singles title today. She beat Yui Kamiji 6-4-6-2 in the final on court three. Did, I'll did say you, that again. Seventh consecutive. Did, have you seen her Twitter handle? 
No. Deed of the Great. Oh, <laughs> you gotta we love that. like it. I, I assumed you must have seen that and I wasn't going to be able to surprise that's you, but I was very, so chuffed um, when I found it. That's a very um, Ekansu's brother on, uh, <laughs> on After Sun energy, isn't it? You're going to be seeing a lot more of this pointing at his face. <laughs> it's a very... It was an extremely niche reference. I don't, I don't know what you're talking but about. You're the, another language. But for the 0.4% of listeners that n- know what on earth I was just talking about, it'll be a, it'll mm. be a big reward. Be a hit. There was also a funny quote she gave on the court, and also a really an insightful one. The interviewer was trying to you know, get out what it means to win Wimbledon. I think this was her fourth Wimbledon title. Um, and she said straight up, yeah, we wheelchair players don't really like grass. <laughs> and the point being that it's a very different sport on the grass because it's much it's much more physically demanded. It's much harder to move yeah. the chairs. You know? I heard that with regard to Alfie Hewitt, who, mm. who hasn't won Wimbledon yet, you know, and he's in singles. And um, and that was explained to me, you know, he some of the guys are, are really put together physically in you know, a massive muscles and whatever and he's a, he's a little more slight and, and he, he can't shift it about quite the same way yeah so I think it's an interesting element to the game I think it, it sounded like on a, on a hard court it's more or less sort of one push and you can cover the length of the court whereas mm. um, mm. on the grass it's it's more about sort of sh- lots of short pushes to get to, to sort of cover the ground and yeah just just an interesting element I mean even though she may not like it she's won it four times so she's doing all right the uh, the men's wheelchair doubles title was won by the second seeds Gustavo Fernandez and Shingo Kanida they beat the top seeds Alfie Hewitt Gordon Reed 6361 I mean we talked on yesterday's pod about how long Alfie Hewitt had spent on court yesterday potentially a bridge too far for those two that is Fernandez and Canida snapping a 10 Grand Slam winning run for Hewitt and Reed. They hadn't won a Grand Slam, they hadn't lost a Grand Slam match since Wimbledon 2019. Wow. Yeah. So that is quite something from Fernandez and Canida today. And on court 14 today, Niels Vink of uh, the Netherlands defeated Heath Davidson in the quad wheelchair singles second semi-final which means he will face Sam Schroeder the second seed so two the top two seeds from the Netherlands to meet in the quad wheelchair singles final tomorrow Schroeder beat David Wagner 6-love 6-7 Schroeder of course the man that beat um, Dylan Alcott Dylan Alcott mm. in the Australian Open final. Yeah, the final match of his career. And the I remember final match of his Alcott career. was. There was a sort of baton passing mm. feel to mm. that, wasn't there? Yeah. And let's not forget that Niels Vink's um, website is called Niels on Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Which is my absolute favourite thing. <laughs> so, order of play for tomorrow, the final day of the championships, folks. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's always sad, isn't it? Mm. Whenever we do one of these tournaments, it's sad when you get to the end. The saddest one, one is the weeks. US That's Open. It. The saddest one is the US Open because of the wait yeah. until the next slam. You know, we, we don't have to wait long until 
At least, yeah. at least we get to have honey juices on the final day. Oh, New York. <laughs> already excited for that. <laughs> Centre court starts at 2pm with Novak Djokovic against Nick Kyrgios. It's followed by the women's doubles final, Elisa Mertens and Zhang Shuai against Barbora Krejcikova and Katerina Siniakova. That's the top two seeds That's facing That's going to be really interesting. Yeah, it certainly should be. The boys' singles final is Michael Zheng of the United States unseeded against Croatia's Mili Polichak. Could you check that pronunciation with your wife, please, David? Yes, although that sounds Thank about right much. to me. Thank you very much. Third seed is Polichak. Uh, there's gentlemen's invitational doubles also on court one. Court three is where you'll find the men's wheelchair singles final between Shingo Kanida and Alfie Hewitt and the women's wheelchair doubles final between Duda de Hoot and Anique Van Koot and Yui Kamiji and Dana Mathewson, the Japanese-American pairing. And court 12 is where you'll find the quad wheelchair singles final between Niels on Wheels Vink and Sam Schroeder. Uh, there's also lots of legends happening tomorrow. Oh, there's also the quad wheelchair doubles final. Sam Schroeder and Niels Vink teaming up. So they're facing one another and pairing up tomorrow. They face Andy Lapthorne and David Wagner. That is a to be arranged because uh, so many of the players involved are also playing singles. So that's your final day of the championship. It's good order of play, isn't it? Good order of play. Mm. Oh, can't wait. Yeah, if you've got a grounds pass tomorrow, head out to court three and watch some of uh, all court 12 and watch some of those uh, wheelchair matches because you won't be disappointed. Or go to court one and see if you can do some Matt Roberts style talent spotting for the future with the boys. The boys' singles. Yeah, no, note down your your thoughts about uh, about who you've spotted and why you think they're great, mm. and then sort of flaunt the evidence yeah. in our faces <laughs> in about five years when they win Wimbledon. Send someone a text, yeah, so that you can find it five thing. years later. Send somebody say, a, a Matt Roberts on Alcaraz type text. <laughs> Absolutely, mind you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there. If they're already in the Wimbledon boys final, I'm not sure that is quite the talent spotting well, Tom, we as did, we did when a... they're playing in the under-14s in Barcelona. Just just, just going to say. We did an entire tennis relived about the junior champions. Yeah, and I he's know. just saying it doesn't matter. No, but it, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it's <laughs> not... <laughs> not sort of niche talent spotting they're in the final of he wants Junior credit Wimbledon. is what he wants the and whole point of that show is that these people are talented and what happens to them and if you would like to listen to that show <laughs> then become a friend of the tennis yeah, podcast it's good. one of two Wimbledon relived shows that we did in the build-up to this we'll be doing a Wimbledon review show which will help you with the Wimbledon come down we'll be recording that next week as well we've already started gathering content for US Open relived that's uh, it's in the works, David. It's just an excuse for David to watch footage from the nineties. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that research is already underway, <laughs> folks. Uh, so, become a friend of the tennis podcast if you want to do that. The link is in our show notes. I'm not going to plug the newsletter because it's a disappointing because, stat because of aforementioned <laughs> reasons but do tell your friends and leave us an apple podcast review if you feel so inclined 
We have lovely Willow, our Wimbledon mascot, Willow. You've done a sterling job. Thank you ever so much. I'll pop a, I'll pop a picture of Willow on our Instagram tomorrow, I yeah. think. All right, Willow. Mm, hello, Willow. Uh, Carter is my mascot. We failed again today, Carter. David. Oh, dear. And Darwin. Uh, yeah, that didn't go so well today either, Darwin. But the fact is, we've already got loads of points banked, so nothing to worry about. Mm, definition of loads of... <laughs> to be determined Matt you and the dearly departed Gerald no, no points today no very few people scored points today we have shout outs Matt we do we have Joel Berger in New Mexico right Joel how are we spelling Berger B-E-R-G-E-R is that so it burger? could be like J Burger yes no, I'm, afraid, yes. I'm afraid not because oh. he he, he told me it's a soft G like merger to distance himself from Jay Burger. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, it's spelt the same as Jay Burger, the yeah. former top-ish American tennis player. Maybe we were just saying his name wrong. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All along. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Decades of coverage. <laughs> Are there any tennis jewels? They have to be American. American, Australian. I cannot think of one. No, I can't either. Pam, if you're listening, yeah, let, let us, us know. know. Anyway, thank you, Joel, ever so much. You're a unique tennis Joel, as far as we can tell. We have Sarah Yeiser in Washington, D.C. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Always wanted to go to Washington, D.C. Hope I will one day. Not a very good American football team. The, um, <laughs> the WGA <laughs> event is returning to mm. Washington this year. It's going to be a combined event again, and I'm really pleased about that. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, cheers, Sarah. And final one is Morag in Scotland. Hey. We, we know Morag. Oh, we know Morag. All right, Morag. Hello, Morag. She's I think you you might be our only Morag. I think so. Morag came to our live show in, I think, 2019 and has been a supporter of ours ever since we started. Mm. So we're, we're enormously lovely. grateful. Yeah, we so are. Nice. So Morag, thanks, you're Morag. lovely. Yeah. Mm. Thank you ever so much for your support last bit of out of date doubles news for you before we sign off it is for all juice hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the fifth, back set. on serve. Let's we get all there. know where this is going. Yeah, we're going to go get some shirt. more beers and watch the end of the men's doubles final. It's an absolute cracker, and we'll be back for one last dance tomorrow from Wimbledon 2022. We'll speak to you then. Mm-hmm.